Our cases here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed involve physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Please listen with caution and care. Reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, if you or someone you love needs help. No one is alone. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello, everybody, and hello, Becky. How hey, are you? Melanie, how are you doing? I'm good. Welcome to everybody this morning. Yeah, thank you for joining us today on Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Yes, thank you so much. We have a lot of new listeners. Yes, welcome, welcome. Yes, whether you've been with us from our first podcast or you're brand new, we just want to say thank you so much for all the support and love. We are so glad you're here with us today. Yeah, for sure. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review. We really appreciate those reviews and love reading through them. Yeah, so please share our podcast on your socials. Tell us what you think. Tag us. We love hearing from everyone on our social media. Yeah, so follow us um, on Instagram at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. You can also find us on Facebook. And on Twitter, we are Rocky Mountain Red Handed Podcast. So make sure you follow us. We love... We love having you guys follow along. So we have received quite a few requests to talk about the Lori Daybell um, case that's going on right now, currently mm-hmm. in trial. It's a big one. Yeah, it's huge. And we definitely want to cover that. Um, we're kind of waiting until that trial's closer or done so that we can have all of those details and put all of those out for you. There is just so much information. We could literally just launch a separate podcast for her yeah. trial. There's so much going on there. Um, but don't worry, we will definitely cover it. We just um, we'll want to wait until we have all the information that we can discuss that all in one yes, episode. Exactly. Yeah. Also the same with the um, 2022 University of Idaho massacre. We've had a lot of requests for that one. Yeah. I'm so sad. Yeah. And we're going to be covering that as well. So just stay tuned to those episodes. And again, just keep those recommendations coming in. We love hearing um, from you all and let us know what you're interested in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, well, Mel, let's get to today's case, shall we? Let's do it. So our Rocky Mountain story today comes from Post Falls, Idaho. It's a suburb of Coeur d'Alene in northern Idaho and has a population of about 14,000 residents. So a nice little small town. Yeah. On October 22nd, 2016, at approximately 7 p.m., Bo Kirk was leaving Northwest Specialty Hospital after a long shift as a radiologic tech. He loved his career and he was genuinely friends with all of his coworkers, which is not the case all the time. That's true. But he loved the people that he worked with. My my coworker, you know, sometimes I we know. get along. We have an HR department <laughs> to handle all our disputes. Exactly. Uh, he was such a likable guy. Everyone really got along well with Bo. Bo always made it home by 7.30 p.m. to his wife, Amanda, and his three children he adored. Brian, Chelsea, and Dylan. It was really important for their family to eat dinner together. That's awesome. That can be really difficult to gather as a family. It's so hard with everyone's schedules. The older my kids get, they have so many things going on. It's hard. Okay, we seriously sat down for dinner a couple nights ago, and my teenager, my oldest, was like, what's up, mom? What's going on? Like, do you have a family? (laughs) Are we in trouble? (laughs) I know. Like, he thought, like, 
Is there a tragedy? Oh. No, uh-uh. we just actually sat at the kitchen table to Jeez. eat dinner. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to it. Life was so good for the Kirk family. But by 8 p.m., Amanda started to worry. Bo hadn't made it home that night. Bo was never late without calling his wife and letting her know, and she hadn't heard from him in quite a while. They're one of those couples that talked throughout the entire day, constantly. They had spoken just before his shift ended, but he didn't mention anything about being late that evening. Yeah, call after call to his phone, nothing. His voicemail picked up each and every time. Amanda just couldn't wait any longer. So she picked up the phone and called Mike Lehman. He was Bo's boss and his best friend. Yeah, she asked Mike if Bo was still at the hospital. Maybe he was working late, um, stuck late with a patient, talking to people, who knows? Yeah, but Mike said no, that Bo had headed home at his normal time, which is 7 p.m. So Mike actually even ran out to the hospital parking lot Maybe he was having trouble with his car. Something was going on. Yeah, no, there was no luck. Bo's GMC truck was gone from the parking lot. So Mike had a really good suggestion. He suggested that Amanda pull up their banking information. Yeah, so we've got to remember this is really before people shared their location on their phones. We kind of talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. So this must be really frustrating for her. Like work and home. This is a small town. It's a not a big distance away from each other. It's, you know, 15, 20 minutes, if that. Right. So maybe he had stopped at the store on his way home. So Amanda pulled up their bank account. Yeah, her heart must have dropped when she saw the bank account. They had three ATM withdrawals, each for $300. This is not something that Bo would do. He would not do this. He never would pull out that much cash. Yeah, especially without speaking to his wife first, right? Yeah. Amanda knew at that moment something was really, really wrong. She knew that Bo had not made those ATM withdrawals. Amanda hung up with Mike and immediately called 911. By this time, it was 9.21 p.m. So here is a clip from the um, investigation discovery show Murder in the Heartland about Bo's story. Uh, I recommend it. It's a really good documentary episode. solid. They really genuinely loved and liked each other. Uh, I know couples that love each other, but don't really like each other. Yeah, they're definitely different things. Yeah. Uh huh. So they were really honestly best friends. They goofed around and they spent all the time they could together. The couple met as teens and had been together ever since. They were like two peas in a pod. Partners in life in every sense of the word. That's awesome. Detective Neil Urig with the Post Falls Police Department was assigned as the lead detective for Bo's missing persons report. As we know, police departments get hundreds, even thousands of calls regarding missing persons each year. 
Yeah, Detective Urig maybe thought that this would be like most of them. The loved one would show up and all would just be well. You know, we've heard before like, oh, it was a communication error or, you know, Mal, just like, just you need to go blow some steam off. You know, that, that was the common solution to a lot of these cases. Yeah, missing persons cases can be really tricky because most of them usually just resolve on their own. The person shows back up for whatever reason they were gone. Um, and a lot of times there's manpower that was put into that searching for someone who just went off for a drive or was just it has to be so frustrating for these i mean the families involved and the police officers that you know there is a finite amount of resources available but less than 30 minutes after amanda had called 911 they received another emergency call that really would jumpstart bo's case so at 9 43 post falls emergency dispatch received a call about a truck on fire Located at the 23,000 block of North Rim Rock Road, the truck was completely engulfed in flames. And here is that 911 call. 911, what's the address of your emergency? We have a truck at the bottom of the driveway fully encased in flames. There was an explosion about 10 seconds ago. Okay, is there anyone inside the vehicle? If there's somebody in there now, they're dead. Okay, send the fire department out there to help me announce. Do you want me to proceed down there? That was just blew up again. I do not want you to. I want you to stay away from it. Do not try to put the fire out. Oh, God. Just blow it up again. After the fire was put out and the vehicle was safe to approach, law enforcement began their investigation. It was obvious that an accelerant was used on that truck. Yeah, the fire was very hot and it burned very quickly. It literally melted down to bare bones. I mean, just strip metal was left. Yeah. Thankfully, once they got the fire out, no human remains were found. With Detective Urig's new missing person case on his mind, it was literally called in like, what, an hour before Mel? Yeah. He suspected there was a chance that the two incidents could be related to each other. Yeah, so he called Amanda and asked her if they happened to own a 2015 GMC pickup. And yes, they did. Bo had a GMC pickup he drove every day. The investigation of the truck and the surrounding area turned up very little. The vehicle was literally a pile of ash and scorched steel. Yeah, nothing was left there. Yet, the detectives did find several spent shell casings outside of the truck. Now, we do need to remember that we are in rural Idaho. (laughs) Yes, we are. Idaho is the fourth in the nation for guns per capita. Did you know that, Mel? No, I didn't know that. I did know a lot Mm -hmm. of people. Everyone there owns guns. Yeah. So the spent shell casings aren't necessarily cause for concern. I mean, they, they're all over. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There are a lot of guns around Idaho, so detectives did gather the shell casings just in case. Yeah, just in case. The casings may or may not be related to the case. As the detectives worked throughout the night, Amanda paced the floors of her home. Her husband was gone, and his truck had been purposely torched. I don't know how she made it through that night. No. It was a night that must have felt like it lasted for ages mm-hmm. instead of hours. Yeah. The early morning local news picked up on Bo's story, and word traveled quickly around northern Idaho and the surrounding areas. Yeah, Post Falls is just about 30 minutes from Spokane, Washington, so this story was cause for concern in Washington as well. They're really close to each other. And this is a small community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The community wondered if it was foul play or was there a chance that Bo just 
did this to his own truck and just took off. Yeah. Everyone who had the privilege of calling Bo their friend knew that this really was not typical behavior for him. Yeah, they really felt strongly Bo did not do this on his own. Something was really wrong. Yeah, where was Bo? And who withdrew the $900 from the ATM? Yeah, was Bo in some kind of danger? Or had Bo just taken off? Had he started a new life somewhere? Why was his truck torched? What about the shell casings found with Bo's truck? Were they related? Yeah, Amanda knew that Bo did not leave his family by choice. So, Mel, every couple's different. Like, would Mike take out that much money without no. talking to you? No. No? Yeah, so obviously there are a lot of red flags. It's not looking so good. Bo and Amanda had met at 16 years old and began to date. Yeah, their relationship and marriage was a strong friendship wrapped in a lot of love. They just fit so well together. On their wedding day, instead of the traditional wedding march, with the bride walking gracefully down the aisle, Bo and Amanda chose to run out together. I love this, Melanie. Cute. They greeted their guests with super soakers, spraying the crowd with water guns. Wow, How fun that's is so that? Fun. Like in her wedding dress. Yeah. Love that it. that mm -hmm. really was just Bo's personality. He was just a fun guy that really looked on the bright side of life. Mm -hmm. And Bo did not have an easy childhood. Bo and his sister had experienced abuse as children. Bo's father had never been a big part of his life, but what little interaction they did have, it was not positive. When Bo was just two years old, his father had kidnapped his two children, Bo and his sister, by gunpoint. Shortly before Bo's disappearance, his father popped back up into his life. His father had reached out over social media and had told Bo that he was sick. He was hinting that he needed money from his son. Yeah. Bo didn't respond by offering money, but he did offer his love and support. Which is really nice. Yeah. yeah. After what mm -hmm. he'd been through. So Bo's father was really mad. He lashed out over social media and reportedly threatened his son. Yeah, I mean, threatened Bo with physical violence. Mm -hmm. Looks like we have another Father of the Year award. No, this is, it's so sad when this happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, who kidnaps their own kids and at gunpoint? And they were just little. They were babies. They were babies. Yeah. yeah. Could Bo's father have something to do with his disappearance? Yeah. Was he so desperate for cash that he had kidnapped his own son? Yeah. So, well, let's stop and take our first quick break. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you so much to our sponsors. So we left not knowing if Bo's crappy father had something to do with his disappearance. <laughs> I just, I think that's the best name for him is, yeah. is crap dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so detectives track down Bo's father and question him about the disappearance. He had been in Arizona and had nothing to do with any of it. So even though, you know, he's he's not father of the year, law enforcement pressed on. Yeah. He was not the answer. The ATM transactions led them to their next lead. So Detective Yurig started the process of getting any security footage he could from businesses in the area and the bank location of the ATM activity. Yeah, he obtained hours of footage from several different businesses and started with the ATM at U.S. Bank. Bo's truck pulled up, rolled down the window, and... The driver was not Bo Kirk. Not Bo Kirk. The driver had big blue eyes and he wore a mask. It was actually like a skull mask 
over most of his face. So it was definitely not Bo. Yeah. We have posted a still from the video footage and you can see that on our social media. So yeah. go follow us. Yeah. If you aren't following us on social media, you definitely want to. You'll want to see the case details and pictures. Yep. So our Instagram is Rocky Mountain Red Handed and you can find us on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. So this person of interest drove Bo's truck, used Bo's ATM card, and entered Bo's pins, pin number. That is not good news. Yeah. I'm, how did he get his hands on all of this information? Mm-hmm. Law enforcement released the footage of the person of interest to the media, and they were hoping for someone to recognize the distinctive blue eyes the driver had. Yeah. Post Falls PD were bombarded with tips, rumors of drug deals, psychics reaching out, Women who suspected their exes, all of the usual suspects. Yeah, this sounds pretty usual. Mm -hmm. So one name that was reported over and over did catch the detective's eye. His name is Kevin Bassett. Yeah, Kevin was a friend of Bo's and they actually worked together at the hospital. Kevin did look a lot like the man in the video. Yeah. Both of the men, the man in the video and this Kevin have piercing blue eyes. Why would a friend of his have something to do with Bo's disappearance? Well, apparently there was a few incidents at the hospital where, you know, they kind of had some conflict, nothing that big of a deal, but, you know, they did make note of that. While the detectives dug through the leads and the tips, search crews and friends were systematically searching the entire valley. Northern Idaho had thousands of acres of wilderness and hundreds of dirt roads that snake through those mountains. Yeah, the task before them seemed so overwhelming. Bo really could be anywhere. This makes me, like when I was writing the script, it made me think of Mason Smith. Mm -hmm. Mel, I'm sure you're familiar with that case. Yeah. Yeah, Mason Smith was a 16, 17-year-old boy in our area that just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Just disappeared one day. And um, we have been, as a community, we've been searching for years and years and years in the desert, the miles and miles of desert around our community. And he is still unknown. We don't know what happened to Mason. So just like we haven't given up on Mason, Bo's friends did not give up on that search. They worked hard. Yeah. Brian Johnston, a good friend of the Kirk family, searched night and day trying to find Bo. On the morning of October 25th, Brian wanted to get one more area checked out before he had to go into work. Yeah, Brian and a friend drove out to an area that had not been searched yet. The area was called Hayden's Creek. It was kind of down a long dirt road and they had to drive through a creek bed. It was a pretty, pretty rocky road. Yeah, the two men drove slowly and they were looking over the area. Brian said as his eyes searched over the area... Something, unfortunately, caught his eye. Yeah. He saw something bright green in the rearview mirror. He stopped and looked closer. It was Bo's bright green Seattle Seahawks tennis shoes. Brian had just found his friend. Bo was left face down on the side of a dirt road. And here is Brian Johnson's 911 call. Yeah, 
is on the side of the hill. All right, Brian, I've got them on the way. Thank you for calling. I received a phone call. So, through choked tears, he told the emergency operator, I found him. It would be such, like, a heartbreak, but a privilege at the same time to be the one to recover your friend. Don't you think, Mel? That would be so hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, Bo was dressed in his clothes he had worn to work the day he disappeared. Yeah, he was still wearing his Northwest Specialty Hospital ID badge. His hands were bound behind his back with zip ties. Yeah, he had been shot at least eight times. There was no doubt. Bo Kirk had been murdered. Yeah. On the morning of October 26th, law enforcement announced that Bo Kirk had been recovered from Hayden Creek. Detective Urid was now lead detective on a murder case. So what about that friend, Kevin Bassett? Well, Bassett's story was not adding up for law enforcement. He told police he had gone hunting from Friday to Sunday, the weekend of Bo's murder. But Mel, the detectives found out he had not been hunting for over 20 years. Bassett had photos to prove he was at his campsite during the daytime hours on Friday and Sunday, but there were no photos taken on Saturday. Yeah, and keep in mind that Bo disappeared on a Friday night late, so that would have left him Saturday all day um, unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. So Bassett gave the police a name of a friend who was apparently with him on this hunting trip. The name was Danny McGee. Yet when police contacted Danny McGee, he said that he was not with Kevin on that Saturday. So, Mel, did Bassett sneak away from his hunting party to go and kill Bo? Yeah, I mean, obviously this sends up huge red flags, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, his story is not checking out. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why we save receipts so that we can trace our every move, right? Don't say that. Mike keeps every receipt and I'm always throwing him away. (laughs) At first, Bassett was helpful and cooperative with law enforcement, but days into the investigation, he retained an attorney. Bassett seemed like a very good suspect to the police. Right. I mean, he knew Bo. He knew his routine. Where he worked. Like his schedule, when he worked and when he didn't work. Yeah, his vehicle. Yet eventually, Kevin Bassett was actually cleared, Mel. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bo's friend and co-worker, who really was sending up some red flags, was completely innocent. Kevin Bassett did go on the hunting trip with his friend, Danny McGee. But the reason that Danny McGee didn't say he was with him is because there were actually two Danny McGees living in Post Falls, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Police had contacted the wrong Danny McGee. Oh my gosh. You see, Kevin Bassett was actually friends with both Danny McGees. So that is why it took some time to sort out the air. That's just crazy coincidence. Crazy, huh? During questioning, both men said they were friends with Bassett. So you can, you know, you can see how confusing that was for law enforcement. Yeah. Kevin said that this misidentification nearly destroyed his life. They really thought he was guilty. Oh, the whole community thought he was guilty. I mean, it, it like destroyed his career, his like sense of community. I'm sure it just destroyed his life. Yeah. So sad. Uh, It also, like, sadly robbed him of his time to mourn the death of a friend. Yeah. As law enforcement made their way through all of the security footage, another video caught their eye. Just down the street and minutes before the emergency call came in to report Bo's truck fire, police saw a man feeling multiple gas cans 
at the gas station. Yeah, and this was not the same man with the blue eyes from the ATM footage. Could there be two suspects involved in Bo's murder? So to find out more details, the police questioned the sales clerk who had worked at the gas station on the night that Bo was murdered. The sales clerk recognized the man filling up the gas cans on security footage Instantly. Yeah, I mean, this is a small town, so everybody knows everybody. Yeah, not smart move on the bad guy's part to go to a gas station he visits all the time. Yeah. I mean, we live in a city with, what, about 125,000? I feel like I know, like, half of the people in the town. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. really not a smart move to go somewhere where yeah. you'd be recognized of so easy. Co- yeah, of course he's going to be identified. Yeah. The clerk said that his name was Justin Booth. Yeah, Booth lived just down the road from the gas station. So this is a small town. Um, Booth's house and Bo Kirk and his family's home were actually pretty close to each other. Yeah, Detective Urich and his partner went to Booth's house and knocked on the door. There was no answer. Yet the next afternoon, October 28th, Detective Urig received a call from a local attorney. Yep, he said he had a client who wanted to talk to him regarding an open case. Get Mel, guess who that client was? Justin Booth. Mm -hmm. So Justin Booth, his attorney, and the team of detectives working on Bo's case met the next day. Yeah, Booth claimed that he was living in terror. A man named David Hutto had threatened him and his family. The two men had met online gaming, which, you know, Mel, that's just the best way to use your time up is online gaming, Uh right? And they actually were living as roommates at the time. Yeah. So Justin Booth was ready to share what he knew about the murder of Bo Kirk. And let's just take our last quick break and support our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you so much again to our sponsors. So Justin Booth was ready to share his story with detectives. The night of Bo's murder, Booth and Hutto went out for a pack of cigarettes. While driving, Booth said that a big truck came up on their tail and shined his lights into their back window. The truck behind them? It was Bo Kirk. Booth claimed that Bo tailed them in their truck and then aggressively passed them on the road. Hutto was enraged and yelled at Booth to follow that truck. Yeah, Bo pulled over and Booth claimed that Bo and Hutto started to yell at each other. Hutto then unexpectedly pulled out a gun and zip ties out of his pocket. I mean, who randomly just carries zip ties in their pocket? This is strange. Yeah, very strange. Hutto forced Bo back into his own truck, but this time Bo was to ride in the passenger seat. Hutto told Booth to follow them in the truck. The three men drove out into the woods just past Hayden's Creek. Now, this is sounding really familiar. Yeah, I'm sure the cops are feeling the same way. This is where they found him. Yeah, so we have Hutto driving Bo's truck with Bo in the passenger seat and then Booth following in their truck behind them. Right. Mm -hmm. So Hutto stopped alongside a dirt road with nothing else in sight. Hutto forced Bo out of the truck and onto the edge of the road. Booth claimed that Hutto said to Bo, 
You don't have to walk far. Keep your eyes closed and you'll see your wife again. Hutto pointed the gun at Bo and shot him. Booth said Hutto emptied the revolver. Booth claimed that he watched the whole incident from a distance. Yeah, he claimed he stayed back. Um, almost back by the two parked trucks. He swore to the detectives that he was not the one to shoot Bo. The police asked if he had touched the weapon that killed Bo, and Booth said that yes, he did. He did handle the gun. Hutto had forced him to reload it after the initial shooting. After Booth loaded the weapon, he handed the gun back to Hutto. Hutto walked back over to where Bo Kirk lay dying and shot him again. The two men, Justin Booth and David Hutto, walked away and left Bo on the side of that dirt road. After returning from Hayden's Creek, Hutto drove to the ATM machine in Bo's truck. He had stolen the ATM card and forced Bo to give him his PIN number earlier that evening. Booth said Hutto told him to go and fill up some gas cans. The two men met in the two trucks um, where they had planned earlier in the evening to dump Bo's GMC truck. Yeah, they poured the fuel on the truck and lit a match. Leaving Bo's truck on fire, Booth and Hutto drove back to the house they shared. Yeah, so it sounds like all of his story is really just lining up with the what the police already knew. Yeah, the, the timeline really is just perfect from when Bo was headed home from work. Yeah, and the ATM and the gas cans were about at the same time that and, they knew they had happened. And the truck fire. Yeah, yeah, it's all lining up. Four days later, Booth asked Hutto to move out. Booth claimed he had grown terrified of Hutto after his multiple threats, and that's why he decided to go and talk to the police. Yeah, Detective Urig didn't know how true Booth's story was, but he did know that he needed to talk to David Hutto. So law enforcement, using Booth's cell phone, decided to text David Hutto. I feel like this is the same thing that, like, 13-year-old girls do. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> but it works. Hutto's cell phone tracked to a local fast food restaurant. The Coeur d'Alene Burger King. The police caught up with Hutto there at the Burger King and they arrested him. While in police custody, David Hutto refused to talk. Law enforcement got a search warrant for Justin Booth's house and during the search, they found a little bundle of evidence. Of course they did. They are, the criminals are so dumb. Why do bad guys store evidence in like little bundles. I don't know. For mm -hmm. some reason, they're not very smart a lot of the time. And for that, we're grateful. I was going to say, yes. aren't we glad that they're not that bright? Yeah. So hidden under a large stack of wood, they found a bag. In the bag, they found the gun used to kill Bo Kirk, cigarettes with Justin Booth's DNA, and gloves with David Hutto's DNA. In the fire pit in the backyard of Booth's home, the detectives found burned remains of gloves and masks believed to be used during the murder as well. So Justin Booth and David Hutto were both charged with first-degree murder. So finally, on January 18, 2017, David Hutto decided it was time to talk with police. He had stayed silent for over two months, Mel. Man, that is such a long, long time to just not say a word. Yeah, it makes me think that this is like not his first rodeo. Yeah. That, like he's an experienced criminal, don't yeah, you think? It sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Hutto's story had much of the same movements as Booth's, but big surprise, Booth was much more involved in Hutto's tale. Yeah, not a shocker there. Yeah. Hutto claimed that the two men had talked for several weeks about how they could get their hands on a bunch of money. They were driving down Ramsey Road and talking about doing some home invasions, theft, or burglary while they cased out different homes to hit. 
that's when Bo Kirk had allegedly driven up behind them with his lights shining brightly in their rear view mirror. Yeah, and unfortunately, that was all these men needed to decide to take Bo's life. They decided to follow him home and kidnap him from his own driveway. Hutto said Booth pulled over to the right lane and began cursing at Bo from his truck. Hutto claimed that about 100 yards later, both trucks pulled over. They approached Bo and gained control over him quickly. Hutto claimed that Booth said to him that he recognized Bo's face or that had Bo had recognized his face. He couldn't remember which one it was, but there was some recognition between the two men. Yeah. Justin Booth then said, quote, he had to go. Hutto claimed that when the three men got to Hayden's Creek, Booth was the one to walk Bo to the side of that dirt road. He said Booth had Bo believing they were going to let him live. He stood Bo at the side of the road and he pretended like he was going to walk away. Then suddenly Booth turned around and shot Bo in the back. That is like cold hearted. So sad. Right? Hutto recalled that after the first shot, Bo dropped down to the ground. Bo started to make bellowing noises, so Booth emptied the gun into Bo Kirk. Hutto said Booth reloaded the gun and shot him again. Yeah, I mean, both of these stories are just horrifying, but obviously at this point we just don't know which one is true. They're both kind of pointing the finger at the other. Yeah, of course they both portray themselves as like the very passive person in the act of violence, right? Yeah, like they were kind of the one to be pressured to participate. So like they're, they're pretty much the same story, but the other person is like leading the way. Yeah, right? they were pointing mm -hmm. their fingers at each other. Like legally speaking, it doesn't really matter which one pulled the trigger, right. but it'd be nice to know. And one more thing I would love to know is both of them said that Bo was kind of the aggressor in his driving. Mm -hmm. Like I, and it, it doesn't matter. Bo is a 100% a victim, but right. I, I wonder if Bo really drove aggressively or if they just saw him and picked him. Yeah. On April 10th, 2017, a judge sentenced David Hutto to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Hutto had a history of mental illness, but it did not sway the courts. He will spend his life in prison. Yeah, he has a history of being extremely violent in prison and out of prison. The next day on April 11th, 2017, Justin Booth was sentenced to 30 years to life without the possibility of parole. He had agreed to a plea deal for arson, kidnapping, and unlawful possession of a firearm. So there is a plaque surrounded by benches outside of Northwest Specialty Hospital, Bo's Hospital, where he loved to work. Yeah. It reads, those we love can never be more than a thought away. For as long as there is a memory, they live in our hearts to stay. Bo Kirk, 1975 to 2016. His obituary reads, Bo was pure, bright, dedicated man. He was the most giving, selfless person you would ever meet. He would give the shirt off his back to anyone if he thought they were in need. He had the ability to make people feel loved and genuinely special. Most everyone in his life had a special nickname and he never forgot it. His family continues to do the good that Bo strived to do during his living years. 
His family started the Bo Kirk Memorial Annual Scholarship Fund. The funding is provided by the Bo Kirk Memorial Golf Tournament. The scholarship exists to support and empower underprivileged youth from the Priest River Lamana High School in Priest River, Idaho. It provides the funds needed for selected students to further their ambitions and pursue their goals through post-secondary education. Bo is still making a big difference in his community. Yeah, I mean, he just sounds like such a good person. And just everyone that talks about him just talked about how much they loved him so Mm -hmm. much. It's awesome. Yeah, it was just such a random act of violence. Yeah, and I mean, this one's really hard because, first of all, we don't really know the truth. We don't really know who did it. And also, it was just so senseless. There was no reason for him to die. No reason. They did it for $900. I know. When they just could have just stolen his ATM card and like, got wh- the $900. Yeah. Like why did they have to go and do that? Yeah. I, it, it again it doesn't matter in the eyes of the law, but I really wonder who really led the charge that night. Yeah. Mel any guesses? No. I I'm not really sure. They just both were going to point the fingers at each other, so yeah. I don't know if we'll ever really know. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever really know, but David Hutto did have a lot of experience yeah. in, in violent acts. So I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. They're both behind bars. Mm-hmm. We really wish the family and the friends peace and comfort. Bo Kirk really did sound like he was literally one in a million. Yep. So we're going to leave on a positive note. Yeah, we want to bring you this week's Rocky Mountain Redemption. This story is coming from the Boise area in the great state of Idaho. I love this one. This is such a great story brought to you by the Good News Network. This headline reads, Eight-year-old slipped his handwritten book onto his local library shelf, and now it has a one-year wait list to check it out. Dylan Helbig, who is in second grade, slipped a handwritten 81-page self-illustrated masterpiece into the bookshelf of his local library. He said he just wanted to share the holiday-themed book he created with other kids. So cute. I know. This book is called The Adventures of Dylan Helbig's Christmas, and he spelled it C-R-I-S-M-I-S. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. Written by, quote, Dylan his self. <laughs> when Dylan told his mom, she was concerned that the book would be lost or thrown out, so she called down to the library to see if they could recover the book. The library staff had not only found the book, but they all agreed that it would be a perfect addition to their collection. The story includes Santa Claus, an exploding Christmas tree ornament, time travel, and a giant turkey. So it sounds like a great book. It does sound I like a page turner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The book is now affixed with the library's official barcode and a category label and available for checkout. It has grown so popular that the book's waitlist is currently over one year long. So great. Dylan is currently working on his next opus. He was a guest on the Today Show and he shared a hint at his story in progress. He said, quote, it's about a jacket-eating closet. Oh, so cute. Way to go, Dylan. This is so awesome. And I would like to dedicate this Rocky Mountain Redemption to Melanie's oldest daughter. Yes, she is a bookworm. Always has her nose in a book. Yes, she really does. This is something that I could for sure see her doing. When I found the story, I was like, oh, I totally thought of her. Yeah. We gotta gotta dedicate it. (laughs) For Mm -hmm. sure. So Idaho, you should be proud of Dylan. Yep. So with that, we will say goodbye until next week. And don't forget, keep your hands clean.
Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, We'd love to hear your comments and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook again are Rocky Mountain Red Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. Mel, what's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.